0: You're listening to Panthers on Tap. I'm Curtis Round, joined by Bryson Carbley. We're just two fans sharing a love for the game in Carolina Panthers football. So join us, crack open a cold one, some bubbly, a little wine, some scotch. We don't care, whatever makes you sleep better at night. Before we get into tonight's episode, a little self-promotion. Stop what you're doing. Go follow us on Twitter, at Panthers on Tap. Join the discussion on our Facebook group. We have over 2,500 members. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcast. Just search Panthers on Tap. Feel like I say this every week, but we got a lot to talk about this evening. Coming up in about 25 minutes or so, we will have our first Panthers player on the podcast—the one and the only Mike Wall. He played along. He played along the offensive line just a few years back. He's now retri- retired from the league. He's got a great story to tell. You'll hear it right here on Panthers on Tap. But before we get to that, Bryson, it's getting pretty old here. Um, Panthers fall again. To a team they really should have beat, the Dolphins defeat the Panthers in Miami, thirty-three to ten. Man, this was a tough one. It really was all facets of the game, man. Offense, yeah, yeah. defense, special teams. Let's break it down, man. This is we're not in a good state right now.
1: Yeah, all all four or all three sides of the ball um, did not play well on Sunday, and I mean everybody knows I'm a Cam Newton apologist, and Cam Newton. Stan and I like, even I can admit that he had a bad game. Uh, but his offensive line absolutely did not help. Um, one of the worst, terrible, one of the worst graded offensive line performances in the history of the NFL by Pro Football Focus. They had an offensive lineman, Trent Scott, that graded as a zero um i don't i don't even know how that's possible but his best uh,
0: play was pulling cam newton in the end zone <laughs> yeah.
1: so uh it was literally i mean i think taylor button was the highest and he had like a 58 or something like that uh great on, on the offensive yeah, line. yeah
0: he gave up a sack too didn't he yep, yep.
1: um michael jordan played bad D- dennis daly was a was a um turnstable like yeah at left tackle i mean it nobody played good on that offensive line um uh, Christian McCaffrey goes down with an injury. Uh your wide receiver on the first play drops two passes, all, almost a fumble on one. Um DJ Moore is supposed to be your wide receiver one and just out of sorts. And they come back next drive and, and Cam does hit him for a 64-yard pass. But um to set up the only touchdown of the game, um, it, it was just it was just embarrassing to watch because the dolphins just um manhandled them all day and this is a team a dolphins team that has the statistically the worst offensive line in the league mm-hmm. um so somehow they've been worse than the Carolina Panthers and um they were pushing the defense around um it was interesting a little side note that Derek Brown didn't start and I think Matt Rule mentioned that today that did you notice start. that at all? Yeah I did I, I did pick
0: up on that
1: I did I saw I saw on it that. on Twitter when when once the game started so I I was paying attention to it but Phil Hoskins came in he had a sack and um, I thought he played pretty well, and then a Bravion Roy and Daquan Jones, I thought played decent. Um, but yeah, Derek Brown, I don't know what's going on with him, man. But he has not lived up to the first round pick hype. Uh, he's not even doing what he's supposed to be uh, doing, which is a run, a run stopping defensive tackle. Um, defensive yeah, I, mean, tackle. I didn't
0: even know he was. It didn't start. I mean, and I and I usually will pick out when I see someone out of sorts or mm-hmm. hey, uh, you know, Brady's coming in or something like. I mean, I didn't even know he was. I didn't know that until I, like today, until they asked about it. Until I think Darren asked about it today. But
1: hey.
0: yeah, CJ Henderson got
1: my star as well, I and
0: mean, I thought he played well. Um, yeah, he um, had some. He had some flashes, I thought too.
1: Yeah, Dante Jackson had another bad day. I think uh, overall, just um, I'm not sure what is the thinking or the reasoning behind not playing Stefan Gilmore on Jalen Waddle for the whole day. Preach, um, man but uh Dante Jackson was was the one covering when he scored um that touchdown early when it was close um and then he was covering them pretty much all the like they would run those like kind of slants across the middle with like kind of a pick going and they'd free up a waddle and down the middle of the field and they
0: ran that play like four or five times throughout the whole yeah game. they've torched them on the uh, the RPOs yeah and I thought um, the same thing I me- I mentioned that last week I thought maybe. Stefan would shadow Jalen Waddle mm-hmm. because he he shadowed the Falcons' best player in Pitts a, a while back and shut him down. Yeah, but then they they decided to have Stefan cover Gusecki and he he shut Gusecki down. But I don't think that's their best player. Like you gotta you gotta have Gilmore on.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that didn't make any sense to me, and it also didn't make sense that. Brady Christensen came in and played guard and they had Daly playing left tackle and Daly is more of a guard and Christensen is more of a left tackle. I like it, I don't understand the, the thinking behind this coaching staff and how they play players uh, position wise. And, um, you know, it's just like, like I've been saying on Twitter, um, this coaching staff has just really like ran a number on me and
0: just, I'm just so done with them. Yeah, um, I'm. Mm-hmm. I that offensive line thing, man. That that baffled me because you had they had success. Was it the Arizona game? I think Arizona game was probably the best game the offensive line played, mm-hmm. and they they didn't stick like that. That formula should have continued through Washington and then through through Miami, and then Brady had a good game last week, and then he doesn't get the start at left tackle. Like, yeah. And daly was terrible on sunday he was he was fucking bad yeah, he, <laughs> he was not good man so oh, dog shit i'm and, not i don't understand that
1: at all i don't yeah care. And, and and another point that i saw like last year we didn't have these games where it was like we go into a, a game that we're supposed to win or it's going to be close and and we get blown out like those games didn't happen last year with Kyle Allen or whatever, whoever we had at Teddy Bridgewater, whatever. Yeah. Bridgewater. Th- yeah. Th- those games didn't happen um, last year. So I think this coaching staff is making a regression um, and they're just getting out coached every single game. Like I cannot remember the last game <laughs> where simply uh, going into a game where we're not playing backups and we're not playing, you know, um, an injured team uh, where. This coaching staff outcoached another coaching staff in the NFL. I cannot, I I can't can't remember. It's probably, maybe like Green Bay last year. I I felt like it was a good coach game, but um, we you know they went up Lambo and almost won. Or that was last year, it was two years ago, wasn't it? Um, they went up. They went up to Lambo and uh, almost won that one. But I don't know, man. I'm I'm just so tired of this coaching staff and. I I've been saying I think Joe Brady's still, you know, I think he's still good. And I thought that him and Cam Newton were were gonna be something together, but I'm starting to lean towards more towards you guys. Uh I really can't keep defending him every week when he's making the same mistakes over and over and over and over. Like if you have a bad offensive line, why not roll Cam Newton out to, to the right or to the left and you know, extend the pocket and give him more time to throw and uh, I just they, they don't do anything like that, they don't do a lot of anything on offense besides have the running back run a wheel route and check it down to them. Like yeah. that's their main play. Uh and I'm just so tired of it, man. And, yeah, I think
0: it's odd, and I I mean, I've been I've been defending Joe Brady this year, too. I'm I'm there's no doubt about it. I just it's weird to me that they've had three quarterbacks now: Bridgewater, Darnold, now Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. The offense seems the same, mm-hmm. like and that shouldn't be. like the offense should adapt to the quarterback. And I feel like the offense is the same damn thing we've seen when Bridgewater was here and what we saw. So I think the heat is definitely on Brady right now. Mm-hmm. Um, does firing change the outcome for this team? I don't know, but I think like something has to be done. So there needs to be there needs to be a moment where someone is asked whether that's Brady or an offensive line, like something there needs to be Matt, Matt rule needs to make, like, it seems like this is a week to make a change for something and and put your foot down because things are not changing. And you, you mentioned, and I totally agree with you. I, this team last year, they would lose games, but they would fight to the end. And it would be like, they were about to come back and win. And then they just Mm -hmm. fall short. This year, I mean, this last game was embarrassing. It was just a blowout. It was like the Giants game. It's kind of reminded me of. And I I mean, that's like the second week. And they've showed promise throughout the year. You know, they put it, they, you know, they played Dallas all the way down to the wire. I mean, they beat Arizona. So there's flashes along the way. It's just these guys, there's not a consistent progression with this team right now. And I thought we would see it up to this point especially with the schedule they've had. I mean, there's – they've had some – so half these games are – I mean, uh, Philly, Minnesota, New York, that's all three winnable games. There's no way in hell they should have lost any of those. New England's a winnable game. Washington should have been a winnable, winnable game. And then Miami, too. I mean, at least half of those they should have won. So, it's just frustrating because – the pro it seems like the progress isn't there they make they take one step forward and five steps back it seems like right now and i don't know this the loss this week just seemed different if that makes sense
1: no yeah i agree i think that i think that matt rule knows like his his seat is warming up like this is your second year into your first head coaching job and you haven't established an identity or a culture that you preach week in and week out. And that's kind of something that I'm going to get into with our guest that's coming on. Like what are some signs that like you can see um, as a fan that like a head coach is losing the locker room. And I, I don't, I just, I really don't know if this locker room is buying into what Matt rule is literally preaching, <laughs> preaching to them uh and it it's just week in and week out like we have to be consistent we have to get 1% better every day we have to uh i mean we're putting the plays there we just got to execute execution has to be better like yeah we get that but like every week you have you're saying the same thing after every game and it's getting tiring like do something different because what you're doing isn't working like try something different run a different style of offense the defense has been playing like shit like since Cam Newton was signed, like I mean, they played they played really good versus the Cardinals against Colt McCoy, but like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. defense, I mean, is not at not at the same level that it was to start the year, not even close. Um, they're getting gashed in the run game. Tua literally completed eighty percent of his passes versus the Panthers' defense. Um, it was just unacceptable all, all sides of the ball, like the the um, block punt, like Chuba blocked the wrong person, like that's coaching. Yeah. That is coaching. Yeah. You're the most penalized, co- most penalized team in the NFL. That's coaching. That's discipline issues that the coach is not instilling into their players. Like, um, obviously, this there there are obvious deficiencies in my opinion of this team not having a good NFL head coach or any coach on this team having uh, previous head coaching experience and being able to kind of help uh, in this situation. Because, uh, like you said, they they take one step forward, like they they beat the Cardinals pretty good and like we're all riding high and then they come out and they just lay an egg um uh, yeah i i mean it was close first watching the football team i guess but um but i mean miami un- inexcusable just disgusting play on the field embarrassing to be a panther fan embarrassing to have a podcast where i talk about the panthers every week and and hope that they get a win like it's just embarrassing all around
0: well yeah i'm just tired of shitting on everyone i mean i just want something good to talk about you know it's like and I, going back to the defensive thing, I don't know what Phil Snow is doing because a lot of—I mean, credit to him, he has been a pretty good defense coordinator these past two years. But these past couple of games, the adjustments they're making are not working. And they—it's not like they don't have players. This defense is a defense ready to win. Like they have—they have players that that cannot be an excuse. And it—they're just not working. I mean, guys are out of their gaps and you know Dante's getting burned and when Dante's I mean you got to make adjustments I'm sorry but that Gilmore I'm I'm sure is it looks like he's ready to roll I mean put him out there and put him on the best player on the field like man I just I don't understand that whatsoever and they didn't make that change at all Dante was on wall the entire game yep and I don't know if the the thinking was Waddles a faster wide receiver. Let's put our you know our best speed guy on him with our Dante because that's what he's known for is his speed and you know makeup on a, a on a wide receiver. But that shit wasn't working whatsoever. And the defensive line, they I mean they've been getting gashed these past couple games in the run game. It's, nope. it, it's ridiculous. They cannot stop the run to save their lives. And they can't
1: get consistent pressure on the quarterback and dropbacks. And, um, I mean, Brian Burns had, like, a good opening drive and, like, a drive after, and then he disappeared for the rest of the game. And Hassan Reddick can't do everything by himself. Like, we get no inside pressure on the quarterback. The defensive tackles get no pressure besides Phil Hoskins that one time, um, which – Uh, which you said he was injured, which I don't think he was injured. He was just a healthy scratch uh,
0: for most of the year. and You might be right on that. I was trying to figure that out. And then I saw uh, a tweet by him that seemed like he was a healthy scratch recently, but I thought he got injured earlier in the year. But anyway, he still wasn't out there. He should have been out there. Yeah, absolutely. He was playing well. I don't know across the board if you could really pick out anyone that played well because I feel like everyone just sucked. (laughs) Um, but I thought, I thought, um, Daquan Jones played decent. I think he was one of the highly graded players on the team, but I thought he played, he, he played well and not a guy. A lot of people talk about, he was the one I think who got the start over Derek Brown, but yeah, this team, man, there's I think you tweeted this out today. I feel like they've already lost a buy and we'll get to that in a little bit. I just want to discuss, I know we, we touched on a little bit, but special teams too, like yep. your first offensive drive for one, you cannot go three and out when the defense made a huge stop and yeah. forced a punt, but special teams, that has been really a struggle all season and not, I mean, kicking was one thing and that's kind of figured out, but, the punt game, man. I what is this? The second, isn't this the second or third block this year now for oh. this for this team? I feel like it's the second or third. And for Chuba to miss that. And Matt Rule explained it today where he was supposed to block the inside guy. He blocked the outside guy. And that kind of what led up to the block. But these guys got to get it together, man. They really do. They really do. Cause you'd you only get so many chances. As a player in the NFL, I don't care where the hell you're drafted. And when you have the opportunities, especially Chuba, he's had so many opportunities running the ball. And then now he's making mistakes on special teams. Like you gotta get it together. And I get it, he's gonna stick on this team. He's he's drafted high and everything. And McCaffrey's now out, but he has gotta step up as you know what? Where was he drafted? Fourth, fourth, fourth round, fourth I think. Round? Yeah, fourth round. Yeah. I mean, you gotta start playing out you special teams is where you make your money at uh, what some of these young guys and he ain't he ain't you know he's not he's not putting up putting up what he's supposed to be putting down so he, he's got to get his shit together with yeah, that
1: and, and another player we didn't talk about uh terris marshall was a healthy scratch like that's your that's your second round very highly in the second round pick wide receiver um that you picked over like offensive lineman like creed humphrey who's having an amazing mm-hmm. year with uh with kansas city like and he's a healthy scratch because you think Shai Smith's speed is a better match for against the Dolphins defense. Like that makes no, like this coaching staff. And then they like, didn't
0: even use that to their no. advantage. <laughs> I like Shai, Shai Smith.
1: didn't even have a catch. I don't think. No, um, he didn't. I mean, Camden only had five completions all day. So I mean, it was kind of, kind of not <laughs> spreading the wealth a lot, but I mean, like come like use your second round wide receiver who we thought like coming into the year could be the best wide receiver on the team possibly and. You you healthy scratch him because you just feel like he's not he's not a good matchup for for the Dolphins defense. He's so we're, so we're going to bring it up a uh, uh, a a wide receiver from the practice squad. I don't mean remember his name Matt something uh, Matt Cole or something yeah. yeah. And we're going to bring him up to play to play special teams, <laughs> and we're going to start Shai Smith because we feel like he's a better matchup. But mm-hmm. you know, we're going to healthy scratch Terrace Marshall Jr. Um, that this coaching staff just I, I feel like Matt rolls in over his head and it just every week like he just proves to me that he is.
0: Yeah, I I saw that yesterday. I saw it late night. I was shaking my head, and I assumed I did assume it was the matchup thing. I was like, well, maybe they think he's a burner or whatever. But then during the game, it's like I was imagining, why the hell – and I don't think we've seen this much this year – DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall, and Shai Smith all on the field at the same time, like – that a lot of teams can't say they have that much talent at wide receiver. And that's, I don't see, we've never seen that. And again, it, it might go back to the offensive line that they can't have them in because no one can block. So they need someone in the backfield or someone, and uh, they need a tight end to block a running back in the backfield to pick up who's ever blitzing. Cause this offensive line is so shitty, but then that goes back on the, you know, Matt rule and fitter. They didn't do enough. for protection against the quarterback in the offseason. And they didn't make that an importance. And they kind of, well, we'll deal with it next year. And, well, now here you are in one of the worst – or the worst offensive line, five sacks, 11 QB hits. Like, it's just frustrating.
1: Yep. Every week we're talking about the same thing when they lose. And it's always it always comes back to the offensive line – and I feel like it comes back when they lose that the defense can't stop the run or the defense is allowing uh quarterback to torch them or whatever. But, um, I mean, it's just like Matt Rule said today, like there's a formula that teams have that they can beat the Carolina Panthers with. And all of their losses, that's exactly what has happened. Like the team runs the ball and then, our, and then they know what to do against our defense to, like, expose them as a whole and then offensively they just know what to do against our same offense like you said you, that's been the same for forever <laughs> like they mm-hmm. haven't made many changes so mm-hmm. uh it's just like if they if there's a formula to beat your team maybe you should try to do something else to switch that up so teams don't know what you're going to do and um I don't know not predetermined before the game like hey we got the formula we're going to whoop your ass today like the Miami Dolphins did
0: yeah, and you you said something else. That's something else. I feel like a lot of folks would like to see is some changes along the coaching staff. Matt Rule was asked about it today. He said at this point he's not looking to make changes, but he also said everything's on the table. Bryson, what do you make of those comments? Do you think it almost feels like changes are coming? I don't think it's what fans I don't think it's what fans on Twitter want. I don't see Matt Rule getting fired, but what would you make of his comments? What would you like to see?
1: Yeah, I I don't know. Um, I think if anybody were to get fired at this point, it would probably be Joe Brady. But, I mean, I, you can't put all the blame on Joe, Joe Brady. Like, Matt Rule is the head coach. Matt Rule, at the end of the day, approves the game plan, approves the offensive plays and whatever be – um, and Joe Brady's just, you know, Joe Brady. Like, um, of course, they need to have a scapegoat, and and I just feel like Joe Brady will probably be the most likely, and then Sean Ryan would be promoted to offensive coordinator, the quarterbacks coach, and I, I I do like Sean Ryan a lot. I think that he he's earned his chance to be a offensive coordinator somewhere, but um, just really hasn't gotten his shot yet. But um, but yeah, I I don't know, man. I don't think. Matt Rule is is the guy. Like ultimately, your your goal as an organization is to go win a Super Bowl, and I just I just don't ever see Matt Rule being a uh, a head coach that's going to do that for an organization. So um, I just feel like Matt Rule is better fit to be a college head coach. Um, he's just the style that he coaches in and the style that he talks uh, to to men and and college kids uh, just fits kids better. Like it, he I just don't think he's learned. Um, the way to coach in the NFL, and, um, I mean, we're t- almost two years in, and it's, it's translated to, to losses, so um, I think, like, like I said earlier, I think if they come out after the bye and lose to Atlanta in Carolina um, with David Tepper and his family there watching the game and fans there cheering, because it, it, it'll probably still be a pretty full stadium because people want to see Cam again. Um, but I think that if that happens, if they lose to Atlanta, I would not be surprised if he, Matt Rule is fired the next day. Um, and I don't know if, if Tepper would be that bold. I don't think he's worried about the money. Like a lot of people are saying, he's signed to a 70 or $60 million contract or whatever his contract was. Uh, don't think Tepper cares. Um, Tepper's shown before that he doesn't care about what other people think or spending money or whatever. Um, I mean, it it would just be so embarrassing again for them to come off of a buy and lose to Atlanta, who they already beat in Atlanta with Sam Darnold. Like, that, I think that would just cement that the wheels have fallen off at that point. So, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But
0: I don't know. I don't know what to make
1: of this coaching staff right now.
0: Yeah, it's – It's tough to say. I I feel like this is the week, it just feels, there's a feel right now, just with the press conference today, that something's going to happen, I feel like. I feel like something is going to change this week. I don't know if it's Joe Brady, a lesser coach, someone on special teams, but I feel like someone's going to be, someone's head's getting chopped off this week, basically. I don't think it's going to be Matt rule. And I still, I'm still, I'm still stand behind him. I think he can turn out to be a good coach. I know it's, I know it's not the way folks want it right now. I, I still am behind him right now. And I know it's hard to, it is, it's tough right now because they're not projecting in the right direction. Even if they were losing, it's just, they're not, things aren't progressing to what we would expect. So I feel like something needs to happen during this bye week And I think, I, I, I think someone, there's going to be some shakeup in the staff, I, it, it just seems like, you know, something has to change right now. Um, and c- what's crazy about it all is somehow they're still in the playoff fund, which I don't understand at all, but going back, I think this week and after the bye is going to be pivotal for Matt Rule because I'm looking at I'm looking at Ron Rivera's second year, and I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, but he went his first year in the league, he went six and ten, and then they went seven and nine, and there were a lot of folks calling for Ron after his second season, and in that season, in week. I don't even know where we're at. What are we, week 12, 13? Anyway, the last five games of the year, this is how Ron finished. And this is kind of what gave, even though a lot of people were like, well, I think Jerry Richards get, Richardson's going to let him go after the season. Ron finished strong. They went, they went on to win four of their last five. And that's, I think that's what, as a team, that's what we need to see from this staff. They need to have progression at the end of the season. They can't come out like you said, lose to Atlanta, and just keep on losing. Then I think there's a potential there, but they they need to win some of these la these last couple games and go on a high, end the season on a high note. Yeah. I know folks want to talk about playoffs and that thing. I don't. I think that's out of the question. This team is just they're not there yet. They're not. I don't see them making playoffs at this point. Are you? Do you feel the same way? I mean, it's yeah. just.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel the same
0: way. Um, Miami
1: – Washington football team was a must-win, and Miami was a must-win, and they lost both. So, um, I have little to no hope that they will make playoffs. Um, and if they – I don't even know if I'd want to make playoffs, honestly, because I feel like that they would get embarrassed on just another national televised event. Um, every time they're on primetime, they seem to lose or uh, barely beat the Texans. Um like they did Thursday night, week three. But um, yeah, I, I really don't think this is a NFL playoff team right now.
0: Yeah, we gotta. We'll we'll talk about Christian McCaffrey here, but we do have a guest coming on here shortly. Mike Wall, former NFL player, played three seasons with the Carolina Panthers. We'll be getting him on here shortly, so stick around. But let's talk about Christian McCaffrey because that was really the news of the day for the Carolina Panthers. He is yet again going on IR for the second time this year. He's out for the season. He had an ankle injury, suffered in Sunday's loss. Bryson, is it time to give up on C-Mac? <laughs> yes, it is.
1: Um, I thought it was time to give up on him earlier in the season when he was injured for the second time. Um, I he, He's too brittle. Uh, he's um, unavailable. And um, I think like you said on Twitter, the best ability is availability. And he has not, he has not um, been that uh, to, to his team. So um, I think after 2022, uh, after next season, the Panthers can cut him and have minimal loss um, like a dead cap wise. So I think he does get one more season with the Panthers. Um, unfortunately, uh Paying running backs never, ever in the NFL. Uh, they've had the highest paid running back in NFL history. He's played 10 games for them since he signed the contract out of like 33 possible. So that's just not acceptable um, when you're spending that much money at a position where um, Super Bowl winning teams have proven that you don't spend money at that position. And I, I'm just done with it. Uh, I think that they should, because a the issue is because they focus so much of their offense around him when he's not on the field, they did they, they just look lost. And I think if they move on and, and they've they become more of a balanced offense with, with the run game and the past game, that it's just going to be better for the squad as a whole. So um, I'm, I'm just done. I don't want him on my team anymore. I don't want to have to worry about him getting injured every time he touches the ball. I'm just, I'm just so done with that whole situation.
0: Yeah. It's so tough because, he is a really damn good player when he's on when he's healthy and on the field. Like he has a huge impact. Linebackers can't cover him. Like he is a mismatch when he's on the field healthy. He just he just can't. <laughs> I don't know what it he just cannot stay healthy and it's so frustrating and I was all for them signing him to that big contract. I I really thought he's a generational talent and these, you know, he didn't have all those injuries, but the Carolina just beat the hell out of him for those first three seasons. And then the injuries injuries started coming. And that's where the, you know, this, this whole big contract is really falling off the wheels. And we were talking about this, you know, earlier today, I don't know. I don't know how they would ship him to another team. I don't know what team would take on his contract because he hasn't played a full season. What he's missed. I think Joe person tweeted this out today. He missed, 23 of the last 33 games like yeah he's only played in 10 uh, that's that's not good I, I feel like they're gonna have to find a way to restructure I'm not a contract expert or expert on that I don't know how that will work but I feel like that they're gonna have to figure out some way to get him you know lessen the load of his contract to keep him on this team because I mean this he hasn't played and it's unfortunate I saw his I think he had an Instagram post this evening, and I, I feel awful for the guy because I know he, he trained his ass off to get out there, and he just he hasn't had luck these past few seasons. So it's just been frustrating. All right, well, we want to get our uh, first Panthers player, our first guest on here for, the, for our Panthers on Tap show. We have our Mike Wall. He's an 11-year veteran in the NFL. He's drafted in the supplemental draft. 1998 by the Green Bay Packers. Played seven seasons there. Went to Carolina for three. He played in Seattle too before he retired. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time and talking with us tonight.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Mike, before before you got on, we were discussing the state of this this Panthers offensive line a little bit. How <laughs> hard is it to find talented big men up front
2: in this league? That so that so the keys to success are. Can you procure talent, right? Like, do you have the right people in, in place to kind of find the the, the ingredients? Like, I've, which you have. Like, you have a person from a personnel standpoint. Dan Morgan's there now, right? Like, mm-hmm. as soon as as soon as soon Dan Morgan shows up, I'm going, They're they're going to have the right guys in the room. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be able to develop talent in this league because athletes are coming out of college not being able to play at the level that maybe my generation, generations before me are accustomed to from the complexity of the offense to the details of the the technique that you need to execute, given your positional requirements, the speed of the game. So things have changed and we don't, we're not giving these players high school, college, we're not giving them the tool set to be successful. So I think it's very hard to find, it's not necessarily hard to find good players coming out of college, but you have to be able to give them that tool set to to find success at the NFL level, because there's a, um, there's just a lot of very, very good natural athletes on the defensive line. And that's going to give you trouble. And you, I mean, you saw it this last past weekend I I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say Miami's got a bunch of world beaters (laughs) on the defensive line, but you know, they, they had a good, they had a good game.
1: Yeah. A a very good game. And um, so I, I guess I'll just move into this question. Um, what can an off- offensive lineman do throughout the season to like improve in his pass blocking sets and his run blocking sets. And then mm-hmm. like in Carolina's situation, does it make it tough when you have so much like turnover on the offensive line? Like you're not playing with the same guard beside you the whole season or you're not playing with the same tackle beside you the whole season. Like, does that make things tough?
2: So let me start with that question. I think to a certain extent it does. Um, There is the continuity factor, the trust factor, the communication factor. That is real. So I think the biggest thing really is you have you do obviously have that trust. You kind of like know when to switch off play. You know, you run an ET or TT on these guys. You need to know when to switch off. Communication is key. And we don't see a lot of great communicators just, again, coming into the league. So that's something you kind of learn with experience. And you have to kind of either know the guy, how it feels when that guy shoves the guy to your side, or, you know, how you're going to come into those double team blocks. But that communication, pre snap communication, post snap communication on the switches—it's so so important. the The hard thing I think during the season now is like we just discussed. Like when I work with athletes now, my whole thing is you have to be able to own your entire process. You have to own your career, and that means that you can't rely on. And, and the NFL has full of good coaches. There's also bad coaches, right? But you're you are limited by by the time you're allowed on the field with your coach in the off season and the preseason and the regular season, if you want to become a better player, you need to be able to identify, assess, and correct what I call your areas of opportunity, the things you need to work on your deficiencies. And you need to be able to do that on your own. If it's 15 minutes before practice, 15 minutes after, if it's working on ankle mobility in the weight room, if it's watching extra film, these are things that you have the capability of doing. And if you can understand and identify kind of what I call your root cause issue is, in other words, the thing that you're doing that if you correct will create a, a waterfall of, of improvement across the spectrum of your, of your positional requirements, if you can identify what that is and understand how to correct it, you can get better in this league extremely fast because they are phenomenal athletes and they're very, like, sporting intelligence wise, they're very smart. Mm-hmm. But it's just a question of, again, do you have that person, whether it's a veteran player, whether you ha- you're you lucky enough to have an excellent coach, do you have that person that's not only teaching you and giving you that tool set, but also holding you accountable to make sure that you're putting in the time to get better? And I don't think we have that by and large across the league. Gotcha. And
0: again, we got Mike Wall here, former Carolina Panthers player made it to the Pro Bowl in 2005. Mike, There was a conversation earlier this year, I would say more amongst fans in the media about Carolina Panthers and transitioning their best offensive lineman in Taylor Moten from right tackle to left tackle when he's played his entire NFL career on the right side. How hard is that for an offensive lineman? Because you played the position. How hard is that going? From right side to left side, and it seems like tackle is where it's where it's the
2: most difficult. Yeah. So that line set that you do at tackle, that vertical set. Um, you know, it's a little bit different now. I honestly don't think it's as difficult because you look at with the shotgun offense that we run now, the drop is a little bit different. So the like the traditional cup that we used to have, like that U that used to form around the pocket quarterback when he's coming under center doing a five-step drop, that launch point's different now. So I don't think just from a from a technical standpoint yes you have to switch everything and there is some difficulty in that but you can kind of you know everyone's kind of setting in a very similar fashion now or they can set in a very similar fashion because the drop point the launch point is actually like 10 11 yards so mm-hmm. it is difficult to switch over um for some people you know but it, it's just it, that's an individual thing like it was, it was hard for me to go from left to right, but it wasn't impossible, but some people can do it just like that. Some people can't do it at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, no rhyme or reason really why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about
0: arm line? Cause you hear coaches talk about that all yeah, the time that's with tackles. Nah, it's all nonsense.
2: <laughs> I mean, we, we get caught up in measurables. Like there's a couple of really key factors to be able to play offensive line really well. <clears throat> do like any, anybody who has a, st- a strength conditioning coach in their building understands what a hip hinge position is like an athletic position. Can you maintain a hip hinge position throughout your set? Can you get your initial footwork correct? So your, your toes are basically pointed towards the line of scrimmage. So your shoulders and your hips are square. So you can stay in front of the person. You're not turning your, you're turning like your outside foot to give a weak hip. Mm-hmm. Um, can you do these very simple things? In other words, can you get to your real estate spot under control before the defender gets, it gets to your real estate spot? Like, When you talk about pass pro, it's almost like it's almost like a dance, right? And I'm trying to stay in rhythm and you're trying to stay in rhythm. And if you can get me out of rhythm, you're going to beat me. It's just a question of whether or not the quarterback gets rid of the ball. And Mm -hmm. if I get you out of rhythm with my set, with my hands, with being precise and accurate, I'm going to win more times than I'm going to lose. And so, you know, for me, it's not really. It doesn't really come down to measurables. Obviously, there's a there's kind of like I would say there's there's a, a certain ride height. You got to be able to, you know, this tall to ride the ride at Disneyland. There's certain physical there's physical qualifications to play any position in the NFL. But after you get to that point, it really is about who's got the best technique, who has the sporting intelligence. Right. And who's got a kind of have a great and got a little bit of shit to him. Willing to mm-hmm. take the pain that it, that is required to be great at this at this position.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. I- Did you want to add you want to. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I wanted to take more of like a macro look at this team currently um mm. uh just with with the current head coach. So, um I don't know if you've ever been in the situation Mike, but like fan, fans and me are talking uh what are some like telltale signs that, that as fans like on the outside that that we can see of a head coach losing a locker room in the NFL?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um I think the the number one thing would be like guys quitting on plays guys quitting on plays. Um, if you see an excessive amount of, of kind of palms up, you know, when you're on the, on the field and everyone's doing this, if you see an excessive amount of that, that's always a problem, you know, uh, but really it's, it's the qual it's not really necessarily even the quality of the product you put out, because especially in your early time, you might not, these not might not be the players that, that fit your scheme. They might not be able to execute at the level that you're you expect and you might have to cycle through players, but are they playing hard for you? Right. Are they committed? Are you, are you having a t- like teams that have a lot of penalties, teams that are leading the league? Like you remember the Raiders used to lead the league in like penalties every single year. It's like, well, it's not really a, a, a surprise. that They're not very good. Right. And so it's the, I think I look for those things, you know, it's like, um, if you're ever looking at like, I kind of look at it the other way. Like wh- what, what, tells you that you're well coached, right? Like from an offensive line's perspective, if you're good at doubles, if you're good at double teams and switching off games, you're probably a well coached team, right? Mm-hmm. If your receivers understand, you know, understand they, uh, they run their speed cuts or they run their angle cuts based on their footwork, you probably have a good receivers coach. Right. If they if they do the dirty work, if they block, if they throw their bodies in the way for the running back, you probably have a good receiver. Like there's there's kind of ways to tell whether or not those guys are doing their job very well. But I think from a macro standpoint, the things I mentioned are are the easiest way to determine whether or not they've 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 given up on their on the coaching staff.
1: Okay. And 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 another thing uh, about this current head coach. So like obviously he came in touted as as this college guru head coach that builds, um, you know. uh, Takes in a team that you know has nothing, and then he builds up, builds them up to, to winning season. So um, I kind of wanted to ask you, uh, what are some coaching style differences um, in a like a college style head coach versus a seasoned like NFL head coach? And like, does that even like transition into the NFL? Like when you're coaching bi-
2: essentially kids versus grown men. Right. So the I think the hardest part is I had a coach. Uh, well, there was a coach on our staff in Green Bay years ago, and he was a great coach, but. The difference is, well, there's there's the most obvious difference is most of the players are getting paid more than you are. Yeah. Right. So there's that dynamic, which we we like to think it doesn't matter, but you know, especially like back in Carolina when, when Richardson was the owner, you know, if, if one of the the top players was really angry, he just hit him on the cell phone, right? Like that's a problem, right? And so you there's there's that issue. Um, the I think the the real thing is. Grown men usually aren't going to go for the rah-rah stuff. So yeah. if you're always yelling, like I remember I went to a USC practice, like a spring practice, and there was there was like a DJ booth, cheerleaders everywhere, and this is back when like Sark was there, but, you know, it's like the Pete Carroll mold, and the enthusiasm was so high, and it was, it was just nuts, right? And it was like almost – I didn't even know if they were actually coaching or they were just like going, just screaming and having all this enthusiasm where I don't know – if that can be sustainable at, at a lot of places with a lot of players, right? You, it takes the right group. Like Pete Carroll can do it because he's genuine. But I think, I think when you look at uh, over the swath of, of college football, I think that would be very difficult to translate into. But if you have a teacher, right? The number one, what, what is the most important thing about a, a college or professional coach? Can they teach? Are they teachers first? Do they enjoy the craft of helping their player, investing in their players? And, and helping those players reach their ceiling. Like if you do that and they get that feeling that you want to be that, it doesn't matter if you're a college, high school, pro coach, doesn't matter how you, like, how you go about your business. Are you trying to make these are, – are you investing in their future? The answer is yes, they're going to buy into what you're doing. Mm-hmm.
0: And, Mike, what, what do you see from Matt Rule just from watching the games? How do you think he's been? Do you think this team is headed in the right direction? That sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, injuries are hard. Not having a quarterback, not kind of, you know, making the play for Darnold and then Darnold not working out the way that maybe everyone was hoping. You know, the, the situation with the Jets and being there with Gase and all those guys, like, that was really tough. And it's I think it's hard in this league when you come in as, um an, you know, a guy that is going to create a lot of excitement on offense and that's kind of one of the one of the things you bring in where you're going to you're going to be able to develop talent. And then all of a sudden you have this the most important position on the field and you've kind of invested in that position and it doesn't work out like you really have an issue. And so now they're they're obviously scrambling and when I like when I just watched I just went through the Miami game again and there's so much talent on the defense. They're they're missing some guys. But that looks like a completely different defense when they played the Texans like in week three. That looks like a completely different defense. Like mm. the way that they're, the speed of play – Brian Burns is still, you know, kicking ass and taking names. Um, Hassan Reddick still playing well. But the speed of, of play, the amount of pressure they're bringing, the style of pressure – I mean, it gets what I would call a very lackluster offense, honestly. Yeah. It's just not quite the same. And mm. then offensively, it's like you're kind of looking around going, well, who's going to make the play here? Right, especially if McCaffrey gets hurt, who's going to make the play? Yet, DJ Moore, yeah, there's some guys there. Like, you have talent, but is it, is that a, like, you, you know, I'm a Packers guy too, right? Like, mm-hmm. you look at the Packers offense, you look at this offense, just I'm just talking about from personnel standpoint, you're going, I got a lot of holes to fill, right? If I want to be competitive,
0: absolutely gotcha. Well, Mike, absolutely. you made the Pro Bowl in 2015, you it was your first year with Carolina. Just kind of want to touch on your career a little bit. You've had the pleasure, you've opened up holes for Amon Green. A funny story. I remember I, I'm from Wisconsin. So I was I was born born uh, born and raised a Packers fan before I kind of transitioned. I remember chasing down Amon Green on a mountain bike to get his autograph after a Packers <laughs> practice. We'll never forget it. But you had you, I mean you opened up holes for Amon Green, Steven Davis with the Panthers. How was
2: it playing around some of those guys? So Amon was all time for me. He was the best. Um, I just love just like that, that quiet toughness that he has. Uh, we Yeah, we actually, we just reconnected. We, we're doing a, a Packers podcast uh, on my block podcast, shameless plug, but um, he was, he was just amazing at the way that he approached his game. Like, like that whole group in general, the way that we approached, you know, it was like we like to, we like to work hard, kick ass and have fun doing it. And we really enjoyed our time together with one another. Right. I mean, with our, I'm talking about my offensive line, that whole group, it was a really special group and you know, your top three in the league all the, you know, every year in and year out, there's expectations of greatness. Um, Coming to Carolina, it was just, it was an interesting, I really vibed with the defense because the defense had that mindset. Mm -hmm. The defense was, you had your Dan Morgan, you had your Will Witherspoon, Chris Jenkins, Mike Rucker, Julius Peppers, Prince Buckner, uh, Minter. I mean, you had – You then you know, we brought in Ken. I mean, you were just – they wanted to be the top defense. That's. I mean, they're the, the big reason that I showed up because I had never had that kind of defensive presence in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. And so I really vibed with those guys and had a great uh, experience with those guys. Offensively, it was a little bit tough because you got to remember John Fox was the defensive coach. And it was like, you know, it's tough to strive for average and – we were kind of told, "Hey, if we get 17 points, 18 points, like we're gonna win the game." And I'm like, "17 points ain't quite good enough for me." You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it, it, that was really that was that was hard, right? Having said that, I was I got Steven Davis at the end of his career, but we mm-hmm. had this, we had Foster, who yeah. I loved, you know, and we had he had a couple of great games, especially in the playoff run before he busted his ankle. Um, and then of of course Williams came in the next year, and 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 he D'Angelo turned out to have a uh, a fantastic career there in, in Carolina. And then I think you finished up with the Steelers, but some, some really, really high quality players on that side of the ball as well. It was just always kind of philosophically. It's like, you want to bust the door down sometimes and just go, go for it. But, uh, yeah. again, yeah. you're, 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 you're playing under the style of the, the, and, in the, and the demeanor that the coach wants. The conservative John Fox. <laughs> what was it like playing
0: with Jordan Gross? Cause once they brought you, in, didn't they slide you over to right side? What wasn't that? No, I was. I was played. Left were you alongside
2: there. of him? No. So for a while, so Travel Wharton moved out to left tackle, and then Tutan Reyes and Jordan were on the right side. And then at some point, um, at some point, he switched over. Jordan did, but uh, I had I had Travel on the left as as a left tackle. Um, Jordan, like Jordan, is uh, of of all the guys I ever played with, he was maybe one of the most unique guys because he was the most carefree, goofy kind of happy go lucky kid. I I think I've ever been around and he was good. Like he was legitimate. He could have gone to the pro bowl many more times than he did. He was a star, but he just, he just went about his business a different way. And I actually, like I had a really hard time sometimes dealing with that because I was kind of, I was much more businesslike and, and I really wanted to be, um, I wanted us to have this like really tough demeanor and I wanted to go after people after the piles and, and, uh, and kind of have that, that, that offensive line demeanor. And he was just, he was just really, really good at his job, but he was, he was just a different kind of personality. So he, he was a good guy to be around for sure. He was fun in the locker room.
0: Oh, I can imagine any favorite Jake Delo memories at all.
2: So I think the, probably the funniest one or the, the, you know, if you want to sum up Jake in one story was that one, the day I signed, you know, it's a big deal for, you know, for me and, and my family and everything. And I think Jake invited us over for, uh, for dinner. I think it was probably kind of obligatory thing that they, they asked him to do. So I went over to his house and, uh, I, I remember he let me in and there's a couple people over there and, and he just sat down and he was just watching horse racing the whole time. I think I said like three words still. <laughs> 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 he's, big, he's big into the horses, man. He's big into the horses. I Jake Jake was uh, underrated because you know everyone was he a game manager this and that. Like he, Jake was out there to win games. I liked his kind of raging cage and attitude, man. Like I I liked the way he approached the game. Um, he was always out there looking for a fight, and, and I mean that in, in a positive way. And uh, he was a great competitor and, and win. After the, when we went to that NFC Championship game, the next two years he got hurt. I mean, it just you know he completely the, the the wheels fell off the bus because we really needed him to kind of guide us around um, as an offense. Mm-hmm.
0: And what about we we got to bring up? I know I know he's not a Panther. We got to bring up Brett Favre. What was it yeah. like playing playing with him though? <laughs> those s- seven years you were there.
2: Yeah, Brett's great. I mean, Brett's a legend, and and I think you know the thing that I I try to convey to people about Brett is. A lot of with with football becomes a lot of emotion and you see a lot of manufactured emotion in football because it's a violent sport. And I think at the base level, a lot of people are worried about either a getting embarrassed or b getting injured. So you see a lot of kind of tough guy emotion. You see a lot of anxiety built up. You know, you watch movies like The Program. They're spitting each other's mouth. They're banging their heads against the wall trying to get up for this game. And you kind of when you're growing up, you kind of feel like that might be the way that at least back in the day, that was the way to do it. And what Brett and that whole group, Reggie White, Leroy Butler, Santana Dotson, all the Frank Winters, all those guys really taught me was, again, like you work hard, you kick ass and you enjoy, you enjoy doing it with your friends and you Mm -hmm. didn't have to be that kind of guy. You could just go out there and know you prepared, you had confidence, you were good and you were going to go and have a good game. You didn't need to manufacture any emotion so you could go out there and, and have fun and smile and still smile while you're knocking guys over the pile you know, trying to put, you know, put your head through some guy's chest, you could do all that stuff, but you didn't have to bring this extra kind of emotional baggage with you. And, and that was the thing I always loved about Brett. He was just the ultimate competitor, no, no matter what situation. I remember we were in uh, St. Louis in a game. I think he threw like five picks and he's like, hell, I'll throw 17, man. We're, we're not going down without a fight. You know, <laughs> he's, he's that kind of guy. So great leader. And Mike, what we got to
0: talk about? You're the founder of Process to Perform. Just talk about that program a little bit for us.
2: Yeah, it's 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 been a lot of fun. You know, I I started working. I went back in the NFL about five years after I retired, and I went into finance for a while. And I just missed football. And I went back and it, kind of a lot of the stuff we've been talking about here. You just don't you don't at that level. Most guys don't have the tools that required to be successful over the long haul. And, and You just, I kept looking at, okay, what are they missing? What are they missing? There was a lot of, there was really three things that it came down to. You know, they need to develop their mindset. They need to improve their technical mastery and they need to start making ownership decisions, which are lifestyle choices in the best interest of future you. And I took it from how we could help these people at the professional level. And then you started looking down college, high school, all the way down. I, at the time I had, you know, a 12 year old son and a a 14 year old daughter and, and you'd apply it to kids their age. So I created a total athlete development program. That really hits those three themes and just helps these athletes, regardless of what um, age they're at now, but if if they aspire to be elite, they aspire to be more than they are now, get to that next level. If it's college, if it's professional, if it's just being the star on your high school team, we give you that tool set. We teach you how to take ownership of your career based on those three themes in particular. And, um, you know, between that and just working, doing a podcast, a process to perform podcast, which is just a player development podcast for, for parents, players, parents, and coaches interested in that conversation. You know, it's just been a, a really good way to, to stay involved in sports, help as many athletes as I can and, and, um, just really enjoy my time both as a, as a parent now, but, but also as somebody who really wants to impart some of this information to the new generation. What do you think is the biggest hurdle? for just young athletes in general from,
0: you know, elementary to middle to high school, trying to make that next step? Um,
2: Well, the the biggest, the the reason that we do everything um, as coaches, as players, everything is based around confidence. We're trying to give these people confidence. And I think the biggest hurdle is athletes don't know where to get that from because we have spoon fed them, especially now, this generation with social media, with all the online platform, with all the online experts, we spoon feed them information. And when they get to the NFL, when they get to college and they have problems, they don't know how to fix their own problems. They don't know how to identify, assess and correct. They don't have that tool set. So understanding that confidence comes from ownership of your process and confidence comes from your preparation. If you can understand that and live that life, there's really... Very, very, you know, I would say it this way. There's a ceiling that you can get to, like your absolute potential. And then there's where you're willing to, what you're willing to work for. Mm-hmm. And what we're really trying to do is 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 give you the tool set to get from here all the way to your potential. And really, it's all about developing confidence and confidence. For me, the best form of confidence comes from preparation. It's the only thing that nobody else can take away from you. Well, Mike, we just want to thank you again, unless Bryson's got anything else, just
0: joining the show. We truly appreciate it. you guys reached out to us. I'm glad we got you on. Um, if whoever's out there listening, go check his, uh, system out It's process to perform. Also go give a listen. I did see the Amon green and, um, the Mike wall podcast. What's the, what's the name on that?
2: Just so we have that right. For yeah. Folks. That's the on my block Packers podcast with, uh, with AG and I, it's, uh, Listen, we, it's just like anything else. We we talk a lot of a lot of Packers football. We digress into some other topics. A lot of, of old head get off my get off my lawn kind of conversations. <laughs> but if, if you're a football fan and you like kind of pro analysis, it's 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 a good podcast. We enjoy doing it. F- favorite
0: restaurant in Green Bay?
2: Well, that's a great question. Let's see. <laughs> and there's so many more now. I, you know, it's funny when we were back there it was it's all it was all bars, right? So the one place that I tell everybody to go. Is like my buddy from Florida was just up there this week actually, and I said, "Listen, please go to Anduzi's and have a beer on beer beer for me because that was win or lose, we're going to Andouzies after the game, right? Win or lose, <laughs> we booze. You know, it was it was uh, uh, yeah. what what a special place.
0: Yeah, that's a good little spot. Well, thank you again, Mike. We really appreciate you coming on. You gave us a lot of good insight.
2: Thank you, Mike. Ah, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Big thanks to Mike Wall for coming on, former Carolina Panthers player, former pro bowler, 11 years in the league. We really appreciate him coming on and recognizing us as a Panthers podcast. So thank you again, Mike. You guys can go follow him on Twitter at @unrivaledESS.
1: Yeah, listening to um to Mike talk there, I think that the Carolina Panthers could use a guy like like Mike Wall on their coaching staff. Um seems like he really knows what he's talking about <laughs> and uh can can coach grown men. So um shout out to Mike. He was Really awesome guy to have on and um, really knows his stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Go, yeah, you might need a new listen.
0: offensive line coach, or, <laughs> or <call> Mike Wall. <laughs> yeah, get, get back in contact with Mike right now. All right, let's get to our draft picks of the week. Well, Bryson, this week, I think I had wine last week. I'm, I'm sticking with wine again. It was a wine kind of night when you got an, a former NFL player on. So this is from Slightly Askew Winery. It's in Elkin, North Carolina. I honestly bought this because of the bottle. It's called Nasty Bastard. That is the wine flavor. <laughs> All right. It, it's a picture of a black lab on it. I found it in West Jefferson, North Carolina. We went to go pick up a Christmas tree a few weeks ago in Ashe County, and it was for sale up there at the cheese factory. And it looks good. The bottle looks cool. They had some crazy names, man. I mean, there was there were some sexual ones and again, nasty bastard. But yeah, it's a pretty good wine. It's a red wine. Very sweet, nine, nine and a half percent alcohol. 15 bucks, not too bad. But yeah, go get go give this winery a try. If you're up in Elkin, again, that's slightly askew winery. Or I think you can pick this up at, I would think, some of the northern North Carolina grocery stores. Again, this is nasty bastard. What are you drinking?
1: Yeah, nothing special for me. tonight. I was just drinking on shock top. I was thinking about breaking out the whiskey, but. Um, we, we got a vacation coming up here soon. So I'm, I'm saving, saving my goods up for that, uh, for, for the old Gatlinburg trip coming up. So yeah, just drinking shock top tonight. Everybody knows what that is. I've had it before on here. So, um, just along uh,
0: with getting a repeat.
1: Yeah. Just, just go buy the wine. Curtis talked about,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank everyone for listening to Panthers on tap podcast. You can catch all of our episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast, go give us a follow on Twitter at Panthers on tap for all your analysis and breaking news. And as always...